The views and opinions expressed in the following program are solely those of the hosts and their guests. They may not reflect those of WISN radio staff or management or the Ellen Becker Investment Group, Incorporated, EIG. They are not intended to convey specific financial advice or recommend specific products. Advisory services offered through EIG, Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. EIG does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with your tax or legal advisor with regard to your particular situation. Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group, and we are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big beautiful town bank building. We are also located in the village of Whitefish Bay, and there we're in the Equitable Bank building. That's right across the street from Winkies. And we're now able to meet and service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida, which is really great over the winter. And boy, I'll tell you, in this last month or so, <laughs> I really thought that that was a really great opportunity. So I say that if you're in any um, of our locations near, please stop in, say hi. We'd really like to meet you. We, um, I think about doing Money Sense and all of the people. It's almost 30 years this year that Money Sense has been on the radio. And the real joy about it is that um, I've been in the business for almost 30 years, so working with clients and really being able to substantiate what is it that people really want to know. Sometimes we don't even know what we need to know. And we're so emotional and we're so passionate about things. And I remember when I was interviewed at WISN and they said, we, we don't want to have um, a financial firm on the on the radio show they had had a bad experience and they said we don't want another financial firm and I said well that's okay because I was live at that time and I said on Monday nights I'm going to talk about senior senior living and on Tuesday it's tax and on Wednesday we're going to talk about investments and on Thursday I'm going to talk about estate planning and on Friday people can call in well of course that was didn't always work out that way but I said I am not going to ever sell an investment on, on the radio. And then I remember going back to my boss and saying, I wanted to do this radio show. And I said, and I'm not going to sell an investment. And he said, you want me to pay for you to do a radio show? And you're not going to sell investments, you're going to just educate. And uh, the good news was that I was the only female broker at that time. They didn't quite know what to do with me, so he made a mistake because I kept talking about it. And he said, well, go home and make me a proposal. And I came back with a proposal that was about four inches thick, and he looked at it, and he said, anyone that would take that much time, okay, for one year I'll do it. And so that was 30 years ago that I started doing the radio show. And truly, I have never sold an investment on this radio show. And it's all been about education. And that's what today is about. My guest today is Attorney Bill Line, And he has been on our radio show for probably eight years, somewhere in that area. We've talked about a whole variety of estate planning issues. And today, what I've asked him to talk about is second homes. And the reason I asked Bill to come on and talk about that is because I had a client who has a beautiful vacation home 
and it's it is worth a lot of money. And he was talking to his three daughters, and one daughter said, I don't want it. Second daughter said, I don't want it. Third daughter said, I want it. And he said, how am I going to do that? And we started to plan, um, would the daughter be able to buy it out? Would she really want it? Or is she looking at it from a dollar point of view? And should he sell it now? Should he keep it? And so we went through a whole um, list of pros and cons for having the daughter keep this. And the house had been in the family for a long time. And what had really happened was my client was saying, I'm really tired of taking care of this lake house. I'm tired of putting boats in. I'm tired of taking boats out. I'm, You know, everybody uses it, but nobody really helps. And my kids don't come up very much anymore. And we started to think, well, how do you resolve that? And what are the ramifications? And um, should you sell it during your lifetime? Because he has a low cost basis. But then we talked about, well, you don't like driving all the way up to Green Lake. What if you go and sell it and, yeah, you've got some tax on it, but you've done a lot of improvements. What if you go and buy a house on Okachi that you can go to every weekend and see your kids? So that's why you're here, Bill. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> We're here to talk about all the ins and outs of second homes and all the estate planning ramifications. But many times it comes down to an emotional decision. And you and I have both have had kids that have inherited property and said, oh, I can't sell it. It's been in our family, but I'm never going to use it. And my kids are in sports. We never can drive up there. And all of a sudden it's a chain on someone's neck. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a lot of planning for cottages, second homes uh, is emotional. It, mom and dad have got a lot of attachments, great memories about times at the lake or at, at the cabin skiing or whatever the activity is. And they, they think about that time captured in their, in their memories as a really special time and they want it to continue. But then reality can come into play. I, I find, um, Planning for legacy properties uh, like cottages and lake homes to be really among the harder topics to cover in in estate planning. You have a lot of issues. You touched on a number of them already: uh, the maintenance of the home, uh, taxes, upkeep, general general things that you have to do to keep the property viable over time. Mom and dad might get tired at some point, and uh, Want, want to figure out a way to exit the property, but they feel that they owe it to their kids to, to transfer it to them. Well, you know, Bill, one of the things that we sat down together and we said, okay, what, what really has to be done? So we came with out-of-pocket expenses, and it was the house, if there was a mortgage or anything, and on theirs it wasn't. What are the, what are the taxes? What is the homeowner's insurance, utilities, cable, water, Cleaning, grass cutting, home watch, possible future assessments, phone, condo fees, garbage, plowing, window washing, <laughs> pool maintenance, security systems. I mean, and there's more. Yeah, it's you know the list goes on forever, and I th I think it it shows you that every asset can also be a liability, and mm -hmm. properties like this can be real liabilities, not just in the sense of being potentially sued if somebody gets injured at the property that you've that you've invited but just the actual out-of-pocket expenses 
the emotional attachment to the property, feeling compelled to to go to the property, kids feeling like they have to go there. So it's it's not always that easy to figure out what to do for the long term and for the next generation. Well, and so what my client decided to do was to, this summer, daughter and son-in-law are going to do all of these things. He literally, we made the list, and they're going to sit down, and they're going to go through all of these. And then the big thing was that he was interested in in any feedback that they'd have, is they're going to do the lawn cutting, the fall cleanup, they're going to do the weeding and feeding, the winterizing, putting all the boats and piers away. Then they're going to spring, they're going to open up and do all the boats, the piers, make sure that there's gas around. It has to be the tree pruning and flowers. They've got to do snow removal and mosquito spray and set all that up and then put a fund together for future expenses for roof, exterior, and interior painting, sewer, or well maintenance in the driveway. And they may not, they may not want the property. And, and yeah, and, and what he said is they have no idea. So we didn't either. So we wrote all these things down. And most people don't realize, because we as parents, we love it. That's why we're there. We just do it. They really don't realize everything that has to be done in the background to make this go. And so it's not all profit, and it's not inheriting a million-dollar house. It's a house that has to be maintained and cared for and used. And when you've got more than one child, it can be a real hassle if three kids are going to inherit a piece of property equally. That's true. It's, it's With all different circumstances and financial means. It, it really parallels transferring your business to kids or to, a, to one child. You know, how do you do that? And maybe one child's more interested in the business than the others. Uh, maybe one is just better at the business than the others. And you have to make some determinations in advance so that there aren't arguments after you're gone. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, let's take a break and let's look at second homes from the perspective of if someone does want to pass it to their children, what are some of the estate planning things that they can do and and tax liability. I talked a little bit earlier about my client who has a low cost basis, although he's done quite a bit of remodeling. Um, Is it better to wait for the step up? Is it better to sell it and pay the tax? So my guest today is Bill Lynn, and he is an attorney with the Lynn Law Firm, which is right on Silver Spring Drive in Glendale. Bill works with a lot of our clients and has been on the radio show many times. One of our my favorite shows was Pets and Estate Planning. That we was a good that one. one. That was a really good one. And Estate Planning, and of course now we'll do Second Homes today. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Bill Line, and he is an attorney and he owns the Line Law Firm. He is located in Glendale, Brookfield, and Mequon, and he's also licensed in Colorado. So he has got um, a lot of coverage in this whole city of Milwaukee, which we are exactly thrilled about because Bill does work with so many of our clients and comes right to our office, and it's really, it's really great. And I also appreciate that you are willing to do money sense. And today we're talking about second homes. And Bill, why don't we start right at the beginning? You and I are meeting with a client and we say, is this your only home? 
and then they'll say, oh, no, we have a lake home or we've got hunting property or we have a home in Florida. So there's a difference between, like, my client having one up in Green Lake opposed to someone having one in Florida or Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, a lot of questions come to mind right away. Um, one would be, how often do you use the property? How often are you there? Do you invite people to the property? Do you have other guests other than family members? And do you rent the property? Rental can be a great way to meet a bunch of the expenses we've talked about, but that too comes with a lot of liabilities that we like to address within an estate plan. When you, um, so let's just look at some of those questions then. Um, How often do you use it? Why is that important? Well, I think that's important in terms of the overall estate as a cost justification for the property. So you have all these expenses. You have to do a cost-benefit analysis to keeping that property. And how viable will that be moving forward as you you get older, kids grow up, move away from home, and maybe aren't interested as much anymore in coming back to the property? Would you perhaps benefit from uh, current sale of the property while the market's good and taking the, the funds and investing in another way? Um, so that, you know, I think that's a really important question initially is just that cost benefit analysis. And I, many times it's driven by how often you can use the property. And another thing, when you talk about kids using it, one of the things I found out that rarely do all the children agree unless they're located within a reasonable distance to all, to all use it. And whenever you have more than one person trying to make decisions, it's hard to say we need a new roof everybody chip in two grand yeah that's true you know everybody chip in and oh the well went and it's going to be because it tends to be that kids uh, for the most part have different income and different resources and one part one child in the family might have one child and one child might have four children with different and and worrying about cost for college and other things. And sometimes it becomes very difficult. So is there a way that if somebody really wants the kids to have that house, that they can set up a fund that will pay expenses? How, how, what are some of the alternatives if they really just want to keep that place? Absolutely. Well, if obviously it's really driven by the finances of the family. So if mom and dad have means and they can, establish a fund to maintain the property. It might be direct funding with investable assets and cash. Uh, you could you could fund ongoing property maintenance, keeping the property in the family after you're gone, possibly with life insurance if mom and dad are insurable. So there are ways to fund vehicles or entities to hold property after mom and dad have, have, have died. Um, for the family to continue to benefit from use of the property without it becoming a burden where siblings have different financial wherewithal, different expenses. Uh, You just can't forecast all of that. Everybody's situation is different and everybody's means are are different and their willingness to contribute as well. Many people would want to be involved in a property that, that a family's had for years. Some may not see a great value in it. So I think we need to always plan for a variety of options. So those families, that family, those parents have means, and they say, 
we know that your kids all want it, and we know that you have different resources. So what we're going to take is money from the whole, and we're going to, either through life insurance or through our own personal assets, we're going to develop a means that this property can stay in the family and be all the expenses covered for that. And these are our expectations. Then you have the family who doesn't have a lot of means, and that property is one of their bigger assets, and they say, well, maybe we should give it away. Maybe we should give it to our kids during our lifetime. Yeah, I, I, if, if it's a, a property that's appreciated over time, uh, I would advise likely against doing that because of the, the capital gains tax issues that come with a lifetime transfer. If you, if you transfer property to somebody during your lifetime by gift, they receive that property with your income tax cost basis in the property. So if the if you transfer an appreciated cottage to your kids, they can receive the property. There'd be no tax payable at that time, but if they go to sell the property down the road, they would pay a capital gains tax based on the acquisition value of the parents. So the tax can be onerous at that time. Whereas a transfer under a will or a trust at the death of the parents would come with something we refer to as a step up in income tax cost basis, meaning that the cost basis would be the date of death value of of the parents who have now died. So if the kids have to sell the property after death, they would incur little or no uh, capital gains tax liability. So if someone purchased a, a home on a lake or anywhere for that matter, that they paid a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for 20 some years ago which actually a lot of people did and now it's worth six hundred thousand or seven hundred and fifty thousand upon waiting for that first person to pass they eliminate that entire capital gain between the hundred and twenty five or fifty to the six fifty that's correct and and this is really important in the second home setting because as as you know karen with a with a primary residence, there's an exemption from capital gains tax for a marital couple who it's $500,000 that you can exempt. That does not apply to, to, a, to a second non-primary residence property. So the tax planning is really important to cover thoroughly, make sure that the estate planning addresses different ways to transfer the property in a tax-efficient manner. And I just want to say that we are not talking about entitlement planning here. We're not talking about anyone who may have a reason to look at gifting or eliminating property for, for um, planning for entitlement. Yeah, no, that's that's true. <clears throat> planning for disability or Medicaid planning mm-hmm. is really a completely different conversation. There, there are other means that might be employed to accomplish that probably a different show. Yes, totally a different show. Um, In terms of properties that are listed, and we've talked a lot about estate planning, and actually what I think we'll do is let's take a break right now, and let's come back and talk about the, the planning that needs to be done, particularly if the home or the other property that you own is outside of the outside of Wisconsin, and um, and how to avoid probates in different states. And with that, we'll be right back.
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you would like to know more about our subject on second homes, you can go to ellenbecker.com and we have our news and notes and I have done an article on it for that. Also, um, we just, uh, my guest today is Bill Line, and he is an attorney and brought in from today, the Wall Street Journal has an entire article on how to get the most out of a second home, buying the right kind of home, tech tools to help you manage it, rules for rentals and other tips. I think, you know, these are all really important issues and we didn't even talk about, Bill, if people that want to maintain that home, if they should put it into some sort of another entity. Yeah, you know, I, to, to protect. I mean, there. I guess the the real what I'm hoping to accomplish with this show is to maybe spark some interest that if you do have an issue to deal with it, to be proactive and deal with it before you die, and look at all the possibilities that you have, and if there's a better way of accomplishing what you personally want to accomplish, because that's that's the real key about estate planning. And so, as I said, my attorney, my guest today is Bill Line, and he is with the Line Law Firm. He has an office in Glendale, Brookfield, Mequon, and he's also um, has an office in Colorado, which makes it really nice. And we're talking about second homes. And when we uh, ended our last show, we said that we would talk about the um, estate planning around owning homes in different states as well as in Wisconsin and some of the things to be aware of. Absolutely. One of, one of the tools we use in basic estate planning is a revocable living trust. And a revocable trust, during, during your own lifetime, it's, it's a, just a different way for you to own property. But upon your death, one of its goals is to avoid probate court involvement in your estate. And probate court is really just, in Wisconsin, it's a division of the circuit court in each county. And if you, if you don't have your assets in a trust or have other means transferring your assets other than a will, then at, at your death, your estate would be subject to probate. One of the issues we see many times with out-of-state properties is, you know, we've done a great job getting assets into the revocable trust that clients have put into place during their lifetime. Uh, their their residence is in the trust, their bank accounts, their brokerage account. Everything's done right, except they haven't transferred their out-of-state real estate into their trust. The problem with that is it will result in a probate court administration in the state where the property is located. So we like to make sure we're covering all the bases getting in in its simplest form getting property all real estate into the revocable trust during the client's lifetime and it's especially important with those out of state vacation properties when you're talking about um putting it in the trust in Wisconsin we have a transfer on death ability that you can use but it really doesn't work as well out in other states correct yes yeah, some states don't have uh, in Wisconsin, we have a transfer on death deed. It's an actual deed form under Wisconsin law that you can designate an individual or entity to receive real estate at the time of the death of the owner of the property. And that works perfectly well. We could make a revocable trust the designee under a transfer on death deed in Wisconsin. And upon the owner's death, the property would automatically, really by operation of law, be owned by the, the revocable trust. Some states don't have that that type of deed. They're not recognized under statutes in some states. And and 
we we just don't have a way to guarantee the non-probate transfer of property after death unless in another jurisdiction in another state without proactively going about and transferring that property to a trust or maybe a, another entity that we could pro possibly touch on um so really important to close you know, close the loops on on your funding of your trust, transferring assets to your revocable trust when you're doing your basic estate planning. When we talk about passing an asset on, such as, and we've had so many different things, hunting properties and farms and all kinds of different, different types of properties, four families and things like that, one of the most important things, I believe, is to sit down and talk to your kids and actually find out what they're interested in or what they're not interested in. I remember years ago talking to a client, and he and his wife were, no, this one, I don't think we'll ever use it. No, but I want to keep it. You know, it was my dad's property. I want to keep it. And finally the wife said, well, we really should do something. We should talk to it and figure this out. And he said, we'll be dead. What do we care? <laughs> And I looked and they went, whoa, you know, when you're, you know, on one hand, he particularly was looking at saying, I want to pass this because this is a great thing. We should keep it. And on the other hand, he was saying, well, why should we care if they all fight? Nobody will ever use it and it's going to turn out to be a mess. And that's not what we want when we're trying to pass these different types of assets onto our, our kids. And it, it can even be, I just had a client that died with two fancy cars and four kids. What do you two, do? Two great Corvettes, and um, and it's like, okay, who's going to get what? And so I think it's really one of the things that we take pride in, and I really love to do our family meetings that we do in the office. And we sit down, and we literally go through and say, you know, and in this case, we're going to be doing it with uh, with the four daughters and the three daughters. And, you know, part of it is that my client said, nobody knows that someone does the sheets, the towels, cleans the bathrooms, cleans out the refrigerator after people leave, that you can't have that. Everybody stays and they leave all their food. It's a lot of work. And, you know, somebody's got to clean it out. And then you take it to the garbage. Well, guess what? You're leaving on Sunday and the garbage doesn't come till Wednesday. So you got to go to the dump. <laughs> and he said, they don't know. He said, they come in and I've got steaks and meat bought and they pack up and they leave. And then I have this house to clean up. And so we're literally sitting down with the girls and explaining it. Already know that two of them aren't interested, but is the one really interested? Or if we actually say you have an option of getting $250,000 upon my death and you can go buy your own cottage, or would you really like to own the cottage? I, I think that's you know. a, a really good point. Yeah, how do you how do you make things equitable? Treat everybody fairly. Yes. Keep everyone happy, and and really try to make sure that they aren't the kids aren't disagreeing after you're gone, because I, I think you can set up some hard feelings. We, now you might not just have your own children, but now you have spouses. Absolutely, and they have families. Well, and, you and better, they may not want to go every summer to the same place. Well, well, and I think you have to you know you think about it. Okay, it's. Uh, Fourth of July weekend, and you have a three-bedroom place. You have three kids, and they each have a spouse, and their grandkids. Will the house even accommodate everybody on special occasions, big, big weekend events? Maybe, maybe the cottage isn't big enough. There, maybe one child lives on the East Coast, one lives 
in the Milwaukee area and one lives on the West Coast. Well, it, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to include the kids on the coasts in the, in the transfer of the property. They'll never really be able to enjoy it. Well, and one of the things that's come up with many of my clients who have properties, particularly in Door County, up in the Green Lake, Fond du Lac, Manaqua, sure, lots of that. And they say, I can't even get the kids to come now because their kids are all in soccer and hockey, and they can't afford to take four and a half hours or five hours to drive, and they need to get home Sunday night to make sure they're set for the week. And so even the driving, because kids are so much more active than they were before. There are a lot of activities. Yes. Uh, Lives have changed in the last 25 (laughs) years to a great extent. And so I think, think, as I said earlier, I think think parents can romanticize the the property a little bit. And they they think about all the great times and they don't, they don't necessarily think about all the work that they're handing off at times, the expenses, how it's going to be managed, who's going to get to use the property ongoing. So it's, it can be really challenging, but having the conversations, the whole family sitting down with, with their counselors, with you, me, um, maybe their accountant and have get everybody on the same page so that nobody is surprised by the result when, when mom and dad are gone. Let's take a break, and then when we come back, let's actually talk about legacy planning. What is leaving a legacy? What does that mean? We'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. If you are enjoying the show and if you'd like copies of the maintenance list that I put together and the out-of-pocket expenses and future expenses... Welcome to go to ellenbecker.com and go to news and notes and you'll find the most recent um, newsletter and you can just copy that off. Or if you like, give us a call at 262-691-3200. Ask for Wendy and she will be happy to send you a copy of that article. And um, you can also go to ellenbecker.com and go to Money Sense. And my guest today is Attorney Bill Lyon. And he has offices in Glendale, Brookfield, Mequon, in Colorado. And you can um, either call him directly or go and listen to our interview. And it's very easy to push that interview forward to somebody else that that you might like to um, have the information. When we ended our, our last um, session talking on the radio here, we talked about what does it really mean to leave a legacy. And there are so many different types of legacies. There's a legacy of values. There's the legacy of uh, financial means, which you put into your trust, and it's pretty black and white. What you There's the legacy of teaching children about giving back, which there's so many wonderful ways that you can do that. Many people forget that there's the legacy of the people that you've put in place to work for you. Because when you pass away, your children are going to say, well, my mom and dad are working with such and such a brokerage firm. They must be the best, best people to work with. Or this is the attorney. We should use that attorney. Or dad and mom were using that accountant or um, insurance person. So part of your legacy is also the people that you have put in place, your team, your team to help protect you and to help you to... um, 
have that legacy, but also to be able to speak on behalf when something happens. And so I think when when I think about second homes and I think about estate planning and all the different things that people do to get it right, one of the things that often gets dropped out is having that family meeting and actually telling your kids about what you want and why you want it and introducing them to the people that you work with and developing those continuous relationships. It's sort of like mother's favorite recipe, passing it down, you know. Uh, And so when we sit down with clients, one of the things that we've found that prevents clients from wanting to sit down is that they think that they have to tell their kids how much money they have. They really don't. Because what we're really talking about here is responsibilities. If you've named one of your children to be a trustee or a power of attorney for health care or finances or letting them know if I die, I want to be cremated or I want to be buried or talking about these are the charities that are going to come out of my estate upon my death or in many cases um, – Mike owes us $20,000, so that comes right off the top. And Mike goes, when did I borrow $20,000 from you? You know, Dad, you told me that you were giving me that. And No. Or, you know, the daughter says, well, you did this. Get all those issues out and, and talk about them. And you don't have to tell kids exactly what you have. You're really going through your documents, which doesn't say how you, what you have. It just tells everybody what's going to happen. Yeah, I, that's right. The documents need to to reflect your wishes, talk about who gets what property from your estate, who's going to control uh, the estate in, in a fiduciary setting, who's going to be your trustee after you're gone, who's going to handle the property to make sure that your your creditors are paid, your taxes are paid, that each of your beneficiaries receive what they're entitled to. It's a big job. But I I really think the documents can only go so far. And that's why conversations with the family are really important. And it doesn't have to be financially driven necessarily. It's more, I think, about equity, what your wishes and values are for your your kids. What have you tried to instill in them over their lifetimes? And, And how do you make sure that they move on with their kids and their families doing the things that Hopefully you've taught them. But I think having the the family meeting is a focal point for for that conversation. And you can really get through a lot. And it's it's surprising how many things come up in those meetings. Um, Sometimes kids are shocked at what what their parents tell them, how much they care about the family cottage. The kids maybe have drifted off and don't go to it anymore. But mom and dad really view it as an important part of the family legacy. So... The gathering spot. It always comes down to I want a place for all my kids to gather. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's one big happy family. And I hopefully that's always true, but it probably isn't. So I think you have to make sure that when you're leaving a legacy property to kids that if they're going to share in it, hopefully they can all get along. And I think you need documents to also reflect reality that what do you do when things don't really go right. Who makes well, the so decisions? So, for example, you might have one of the, the the children get into a terrible car accident, or have to go through a bankruptcy, or something happens that that was unforeseen. Now, what happens with those three kids? Absolutely, and I, that that also is a huge 
a huge question when you're des- when you're designing a plan with a family property. If you if you leave property to your kids outright, you have three kids, you leave it to them outright under the terms of your estate plan, they would generally take that property in a form of ownership called a tenancy in common, which would mean they'd each own a third of the property, they'd each be responsible for a third of the expenses and upkeep. But if if any of those children had a car accident, their interest in the property would be at risk. So their one-third interest would be at risk if they lost assets and they lost their interest in the property, unless the other kids have the means to buy out that interest, there could be a forced sale of the property. So we like to put plans in place that address those remote possibilities. Unforeseen. Yeah, absolutely. We, know, we don't know what's going to happen exactly, um, but, but we like to have contingencies built into all of our plans to make sure we're addressing the best case and the worst case scenarios. You know, I learned something this weekend from my granddaughter, Mia, and I was talking to my daughter about something, and something came up in the family. Someone got sick, and my my granddaughter said, why don't you tell me anything? Makes me feel like you never think I'm growing up, and I'm not a a kid, Mom. I'm 16, you know? (laughs) I'm not a kid. But think about the message when we don't tell our kids. We've got adult kids there. You know, my son is going to be 48 years old. And um, we we still see them as kids, but they're adults. And including them in the conversation really makes a positive statement to those kids that we can talk about this and we can come to – we can agree to disagree, but at least you're laying the facts out on the table and you're you're talking about the things that are most important. And I think the other mistake that I've seen parents make, and I saw my dad make it, was on his deathbed, literally, he made my mother promise that when she sold their small condo in Mequon, that all the proceeds would be divided equally between the four of us. My father didn't have a clue, I don't think, how much he was worth. Anyways, and it was the craziest thing because none of us needed that money. And we told my mom, Mom, we don't want it. She said, I promised Dad. I told Dad that I would do that. And um, it was a foolish thing, but my dad was coming from the place that he didn't inherit anything from his family. And he knew people, and he felt that that was really a legacy that he wanted to pass. Everybody should get something from my dad and my mom. And so my mom did that, and that was really kind of a a goofy thing, but she made a promise to my dad. And I think a lot of times parents don't realize when they say, promise me you'll never sell the cottage, or promise me that you'll keep my car, that the kid doesn't even want to drive, or whatever it is, or "I, I bought this for you. And I think we have to be really aware of some of the things that we say because circumstances change and often situations change and people can't keep those promises. That's right. And with with proper planning, I think part of it is a discussion. And I'd like to think if we'd met with your, your dad, <laughs> we might have come up with some attractive alternatives yes. for him that could have made him know there'd be a legacy mm-hmm. for the kids, but also make sure your mom's taken care of. And, and those those things can only come about through real conversations. Drafting estate plan documents is really not that difficult, in my opinion. But 
getting to the point of being able to draft, that can be difficult. And you need to have all the conversations that inform the documents that you're, you're putting together for clients, meeting their wishes, uh, laying their fears, making sure that they, they have comfort in what they're doing. I would have to say we're, we're talking about today, we're talking about second home properties, but a lot of people do have collections. They have artwork. They have um, another one that is, is um, stock from a company that they've worked for forever, <laughs> and they're attached to it. Right. And I have a client right now that's got several million dollars in a bank stock that could not possibly sell because dad would be dad would be just sick about it and and so we have all this stock and all the risk that's associated with that uh, but it can't be mitigated because it can't be sold so it's you know there's all these different things that come up in families and I think that if you take an inventory of what you have and and where it's going to go and how you want it to pass you can deal with every single one of those issues in a way that your family stays connected and not disconnected. And particularly loans, too, and money, where you know parents are borrowing money or giving money and there's loans and there's no record of it. But believe the one thing I found out that everybody always knows when you give somebody money. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may not. That's for you sure. think, you know, you borrowed so and so, and you think that nobody else knows. And I don't know why it is, but kids keep track. Yeah, I think you have to formalize <laughs> those things to make yes. sure nothing goes sideways at the end of the day. My guest today is Bill Line. He is an attorney. He has his own firm, Line Law Firm. It's in Glendale, Brookfield, Mequon, and also in Colorado. You can give him a call at 414-847-6290. I know you don't have a pencil handy, but you can always call the office because I definitely have his number. Thank you. And I can give that out to you. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.